book of 1 John. It's just uh, what a blessing. So we're going to uh, continue chapter 5. We're going to start at verses 9 through 13, read through them. We're going to recap just a little bit of what we learned last week <clears throat> to bring us up to speed as we go through the rest of the material today. So um, if you have your Bibles, if you're listening around the world somewhere, open up to 1 John chapter 5 and uh, follow along with us as I read through verses 9 through 13 for you here in the church. It's right up on the screen. So let's, let's let God the Holy Spirit speak to us through his word this morning and uh, pay attention as we go into the scriptures. This is fundamentally the most important part of a church service is the expository preaching and teaching of the Word of God. This is right here, is the hallmark of all of it right here. So let's read through it. Starting at verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. Verse 10. <clears throat> Look at verse 10, church. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. It's already there. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. Verse 11. Bam, right there. And the witness is this, that God, has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. It's not in someone else. It's not in the church membership. It's in His Son. Right. The one, he who has the Son has zoe, has life. Right. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And verse 13, very important verse. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Now last week, and then you can go to slide three, ladies. Last week we looked at the reason why we can have victory over the world we live in. We learned about Nike. <coughs> victory. We learned that is because we have been born or our life has originated out of God. That's where our new life comes from. It originates out of God. We also learn that our lives are not the same anymore. If you're truly born again, your life's not the same anymore. When you come to a saving faith in Christ, <clears throat> you begin to see things differently. You have a new, a different outlook on life. It's not the same as the worldly outlook you used to have. You should begin to have joy in your life. Because you know that your sins have been forgiven. Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? We learned that our faith is how the power of God that gives us victory is now applied to our life. Remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way. And church, God gives us the very faith we need to live in this fallen world. If we are able to overcome this world, we've learned that we need something that will give us the ability to overcome this world. We need a power that we don't have or manufacture inside of ourselves. 
God, church, himself gives us the very power we need. It's an unseen power that is greater than all the enemies of hell could throw at us. No unsaved person could possibly know or understand the power until they come to a saving faith in Christ alone and are born again. And then we had arrived at verse 6, and in verse 6 through verse 8, we saw how John is very concerned about the correct doctrine concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. So at slide 3 here, we're going to look at what Dr. Morton Lloyd-Jones said. I read this to you last week, and I think this is important to look at it again. He says, If the whole basis of my victory and my overcoming the world is that I have faith in Christ and I lean upon him, and if I am to look to him and rely upon him, then it is important for me to know that I can rely upon him. <clears throat> if I'm going to risk the whole of my life and the whole of my outlook upon this particular reliance, then I must be absolutely certain about it. You must be sure of your foundation before you begin to erect your building. You must be right about that first principle before you can put in the details. Slide four. Look at verse six. Just take a moment. Just going to snapshot through these and then get all our new material. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And you can see it on the slides there. Not with water only, but with water and with blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, or the Spirit who is constantly bearing witness, because the Spirit is the truth. Of course, I'm not going to go through all the details as I did last Sunday. You guys can go back and listen to that message from last week if you desire. But I do want to highlight just some key points from last Sunday so we have that foundation before we move ahead. <clears throat> John had wanted you and I to know, church, that there's plenty of evidence to prove that Jesus is the Son of God who provides eternal life. John is stating here in this verse that beyond any question, Jesus is the unique Son of God, and he has declared that he is the Son of God by his baptism by water, that was the inauguration of his ministry, and by his death on the cross, that was the shedding of his blood. And again, we learn that idea of coming seems to carry with it the idea that Jesus had a very specific person purpose in coming to earth, clothing himself in frail humanity. He came as the Messiah with water and blood, first by his baptism, then, of course, he launches his ministry there, and then with the blood, with his death on the cross. We learned also that the blood of Jesus Christ, his death on that cross, declares that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. He hung on that cross for every sinful, rotten, filthy thing that you and I have ever done and ever will do. That's important to note. We should take that much more seriously. The God-man that died on that cross for us. Church, it is by his death on that cross, and only by his death on that cross, that our sin debt is paid in full. He bore our sins in his body on that cross. Church, he took the judgment, suffered, and died for us. So that blood points you and I directly to the work of Christ himself, and that was the work of reconciling you and I to the Father. Amen. 
Slide five. Then we looked at how John built upon this. He talks about the, the, the witness, the testimony. He says there are three that bear witness. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. In fact, in the Greek, it means they actually exist in agreement. The Godhead. All present during all of this. That's exciting. It seems clear from the text that John is thinking in terms of testimonies and witness. Slide five. Then I ask you some questions. <clears throat> what does John want to prove to us? What does he want to reveal to us? What does he feel is so important that you and I need to know? We've learned that the answers to these questions are found in the scriptures. We've already looked at the witness of the water last week, and we looked at the blood, and we looked at the witness of the Holy Spirit. And we asked that question, how did the Holy Spirit witness that Jesus is the Son of God? Remember John's testimony? What did the Holy Spirit do to bear witness? And we looked at several verses to help us clearly see that the Holy Spirit was present during all of this. Then how he bore witness. Slide 6. Remember John 1.33 from last week. John says, I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. We then ask the question, well, how else does the Holy Spirit bear witness? We learn from Scripture that he bears witness in the church that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Slide 7. How about this verse? In him, in Christ, you also... <coughs> After, now listen to this, look at the verse, church. In Christ, that's in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of our salvation, having also believed, meaning you've placed your faith and trust, you relied upon, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's really a, very important verse for you to know. Amen. After listening to the message of truth, you leave here today, if you left here last week, you have no excuse. None. Right. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let me cover a little bit of that last week. First, everyone who comes to faith in Christ and trusts in him alone for their salvation you need to remember that the Holy Spirit takes up a permanent residency inside of you. That oikion. He permanently indwells the believer. Very important you understand that if you're saved, you're not in there by yourself anymore. God, the Holy Spirit, is with you wherever you go. Be careful what you watch on TV. Be careful what you listen to. Because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Be careful where you take yourself. Oh, I'm getting to preaching now, Dr. Carter. Slide eight. Do you not know, and we covered this verse last week. I'm just going to touch on it a little bit. Do, and I, wanted, I had the Greek up there, but of course you can't see it. It's too small. But 
Do you not know that your body is the temple, Holy Spirit, who, where is he? Where is he, church? In you. Whom you have from God, and that you're not your own. And we looked at that word temple. It's the Greek word naos. Remember last week? There's the Greek word hurion, which means the whole temple in of itself. And then inside the temple, you get the, you know, the court of Gentiles, the court of women. You go through where the sacrifices are. And then you come to the Holy of Holies, the naos. And Paul says, your body is so important that he uses the word naos, where the Holy Spirit dwelt. That's where the Holy Spirit used to come every year when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant with the hyssop plant. The Holy Spirit would come down and take that blood as a covering for the sins of Israel. That same naos is you, church. You carry the Holy Spirit with you wherever you go. Remember that. When you become a Christian, life becomes different for you because God the Holy Spirit is now indwelling you. Here's an important question. Is your life different? You listening around the world, is your life different? Because the Holy Spirit, He's your helper, He's your advocate. He's that securing force. He's that lifetime guarantee, so to speak. And we looked at that word sealed from Ephesians 1.13. Sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Let me cover that just real quickly. That's important. That sealing that Paul speaks here, they would have clearly understood it very much, much like we have a notary public today, so to speak. That sealing speaks of an official mark of identification that would be placed on a letter or contract or some very important document. Again, back in Paul's day, that seal would be made of hot wax. It's placed on the document, and then the uh, person would impress his signet ring into the wax. That document was then officially identified with and under the authority of the person who had that signet ring. Very important. The idea then behind being sealed in Christ, Paul was using that analogy to help them understand this truth, is that with the Holy Spirit signifies the authenticity and ownership of the believer. Again, back in Paul's day, that seal of a king or a prince, here's important. Once that seal was put on there, it was non-revocable, church. Not revocable. So when God gives a believer his Holy Spirit, he stamps us with the seal. This child is my offspring. He belongs solely to me. This child is a citizen of my kingdom. He's now a member of my divine family. And as I said last week, it's like the Holy Spirit is a signet ring and the hot wax is the blood he stamps the document with. Blood applied, he's now mine. So that is some of what we learned from verses 7 and 8. Now we're going to move ahead. Slide 9. <clears throat> if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God that he hath testified of his Son. <clears throat> Just so we're clear here. Let's define the word witness. A witness is one who can give a first-hand account of something seen, heard, or experienced. So what's John, what's he trying to get across to you and I here? 
Well, it seems to me that he's continuing his argument concerning the witness of Jesus being the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of the living God. So John is saying that if we are to believe the witness of men, how much more, church, should we believe the witness of God himself? We have the witness of the water. We have the witness of the shed blood. We have the witness of God, the Holy Spirit. Slide 10. Look what John wrote back in John 5.36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father... Now, this is Jesus talking, just so you know. <clears throat> some of you Bibles, some of you guys have Bibles that where Jesus spoke is in red. Actually, the whole Bible should be in red, but that's an argument for another day because it's all God's Word. But anyway, Jesus is talking here. He's saying, listen... The testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Boom. Now, back in John's day in Jewish law, the testimony of two or three witnesses was sufficient to be received as truth. Slide 11. So... Let's go back to Deuteronomy 19.15 to get some context here. Back in Deuteronomy 19.15, Bible says, A single witness shall not rise up against, any, against a man on account of any iniquity or any sins which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And if you remember Matthew 18.15-17, it's really a direct quote from Deuteronomy here, chapter 19, verse 15. Let me read it one more time. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. How much more if God himself offers three witnesses to prove his case concerning his son, church? Slide 12. Look at how John just builds on the case. The one who believes... The one who puts his trust in, adheres to, and relies in the Son of God, that's what that word believe means, has the testimony, literally has the witness in himself. <clears throat> the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of the witness that God has given him concerning his Son. I want to make sure that we understand this verse. It's very important. I'm going to read it again. Again, that word believes, I kind of put a little mini definition in there to help give you the context of what's being said. The person who believes, meaning the person who is placing his trust in, the person that is adhering to, the person is totally relying on or in the Son of God, that person who has come to that saving faith, has that witness in himself. You know if you believe or you don't. But the one who does not believe God has made him a liar. You're calling God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony, the witness that God has given him concerning his son. Church, this is a very sobering point to make that needs to be made. Hear me this morning. If you hear nothing else, hear me. What you and I do 
with God's testimony concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, is going to determine where you and I spend eternity. Make no mistake about it. What you and I do with God's testimony concerning His Son, Jesus the Christ, that determines where you and I will spend eternity. Hear me this morning. There's no neutral ground. There are only two ways to respond. You either believe or you don't. You either surrender your life to Christ and accept the testimony or you reject it. Put up slide 13 and then 14. Slide 13. Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me. doesn't say he can sit over here on the neutral ground and watch it unfold. Jesus himself says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Boy, I could spend a whole time on that, but I don't have the time. Slide 14. A.E. Brooks says this. There is no room for ignorance or misconception. To reject the witness is to deny the truthfulness of God. He, God, has spoken and acted deliberately and with absolute clearness. The testimony has been born. These things were not done in a corner. The witness must therefore either be accepted or rejected. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be explained away. Church, belief in God the Father cannot, can never be separated from belief in God the Son. How can a sinner find acceptance with an infinite holy God? It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So then, this begs the question, well then, how does a person make God a liar? John had answered that question back in verse 10. The one who does not believe, literally, the one, this is slide 15. The one who does not believe, the one who does not surrender to, the the one who does not put his trust in, The one who does not adhere to or rely on God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony. He's not believed in the witness, the record that God has given us concerning his son. What is John trying to get across so passionately here in this text? I can, again, it's very emphatic in the Greek. It's very, you know, I can just sense John's emotion here. He's speaking of a person whom when the moment has come, the person willfully chooses to refuse the message of the gospel concerning his son Christ. He then makes God a liar. The Greek words in the text here, I don't want to overlook them, has made, has not believed. You see that in the text there. Has made him a liar, has not believed in the testimony. In the Greek, this is what we call, it's written in what's called the perfect tense. Now, you need to remember, because I know Dr. Carter, our Greek scholars, taught you this many times. The perfect tense represents an action in the past, but has continuing results in the present. If somebody came to faith in Christ back here, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 5 minutes ago, that will have continuing results in the present. So we can actually read this text this way. For the person who is re- willfully rejecting the gospel of God concerning Christ, it could be like, you know what, guys? I didn't believe the gospel of God 
nor any of the testimonies back when I heard it here the first time, present tense in the Greek, and I still don't believe it right here. Thank you, brother. That's what he's trying to get across. I didn't believe it back here when you told me this time and time again. I'm on my deathbed, and I still don't believe it right now in the present. That's the way, that's, that's how emphatic and how forceful this is. Your life depends on whether or not you've come to saving faith in Christ. Mark my words, there's no other way. Right. And he's saying, you're choosing, you've heard it, and you're choosing to direct it. You're basically saying, God, you're a liar. Right. I don't believe you, God. I'm not going to give up what I choose to believe, because since I believe it, it must be, it must be true. Sadly, the result of that decision, in essence, is clings to a person who is dead in their sins and trespasses, dead in their hearts. Slide 16. Can any of this be said about us? Here's an acid test for you guys to be thinking about this morning. Look at the list. This will be slides 16 and 17, ladies. 16. They reject the testimony of the life of Christ, his work, and his words. Do you live like, you, like an unbeliever? You say you got saved, but you're still doing the same exact things you did before you ever got saved? You're rejecting the testimony of the life of Christ. You're rejecting the testimony of his baptism. You're rejecting the testimony of his shedding of the blood on the cross and his death. Slide 17. Well, then, you're rejecting the testimony of resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus Christ conquered sin and death on that cross? Do you believe three days later that he arose from the dead, conquering death forever? Do we reject the testimony of the scriptures? It's very people will say, oh, well, that was written by men. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, church. No portion of scripture is of anyone's own private interpretation, for holy men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is theopneusis, God breathed, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correcting us, for instructing us in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible in itself contains and is the very word of God. Right. Don't let any false prophet try to explain that away to you. Right. Do you reject the testimony of God the Holy Spirit that convicts a person's heart of sin and of righteousness? Do you reject the testimony of believers who have and continue to experience the power of Christ in their own lives? Church, there is a plethora of witness that Jesus is the Christ. Even non-biblical writers back in Jesus' day that were not Christians wrote of Christ and his miracles that had nothing to do with the church. Slide 18. Don't worry, I only have about 18 pages to go. You're all right. John 3.36. We're almost done. He who believes. There's that word pisteo or pistesimon. He who has believed. He who has put his trust in adheres to and relies on the Son of God, has eternal life. But, there's that clause. He who does not obey, he who refuses to trust in, he who refuses to believe in the Son of God, will not see life. But the wrath, that orge, <coughs> that, that anger and wrath of God, I don't even want to imagine what that must be like. Abides. Literally, that wrath remains upon him. Slide 19. 
Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe, unless you put your trust in, adhere to and rely on the truth that I am he, you will die in your sins. What did John say in verse 11 and 12? Slide 20. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 as we move on. And this is the testimony. This is the evidence. This is the record. This is it. That God, not a prophet, not a preacher, God has given us eternal, or I think the King James says everlasting life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has zoe, has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So this begs the question, okay, John, what did you mean, John, when you used the word eternal life? What did you mean when you made that statement, aeonios zoe, eternal life? Well, we need to understand that the word eternal Aeonios means that life operates simultaneously outside of time and inside of time and beyond time. We think in chronos. That's where we get the chronology. or chron- We think in time. God's beyond time. God invented time. More for us. God invented time. So when you think of eternal... You've got to understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is one God, co-eternal, one nature. They operate simultaneously inside of time and outside of time and beyond time. Jesus Christ is what gives time its everlasting meaning for the believer through faith in God the Son. Slide 21. Let's see how John MacArthur says it. He says it better than I could ever say it. Dr. MacArthur's, in his, t- in his uh, commentary, says this. The purpose of God's testimony through the water, the blood, and the spirit is that the sinners might receive eternal life. <clears throat> now look at this. Don't miss it. This is powerful. Eternal life involves far more than merely living forever in a chronological sense. Far more than that, church. The essence of eternal life is the believer's, look at this, is the believer's participation in the blessed, everlasting life of Christ through his or her union with him. Romans 6 covers that. The essence of eternal life is the believer's participation in the blessed everlasting life of Christ through his or her union with him. Jesus defined that for us in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may know you, he's talking about the Father, that they may know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. Now, here, here's something that's going to tread on some toes. People will say, well, the Jewish people, they're, you know, they're, they're, do they worship the same God 
that we worship or the Muslims worship the same God we worship? No, they don't. And I'm not here to pick on them. They do not worship the same God. If you deny Christ, you deny the God that I worship. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful to any other religion. But they do not worship the same God you worship. My God is one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, co-eternal, co-existing, one nature, one substance. Now, I know that's going to be hard to fit in people's ears, and I might get kicked off of Facebook for that, but oh well. That's the truth. You cannot have God the Father without God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It's one God. So we want to make sure that we understand that. How about slide 22? This is what Jesus is saying. In John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am, ego in me, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes, he who puts his trust in, adheres to, and relies on me will live even when he dies. <clears throat> and everyone who lives and believes, who has placed their trust, adhere to, and rely on me, will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Church, do you believe that? You listening around the world by Facebook and Sermon Audio, do you believe that? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he who has placed his faith and trust in me, who's adhered to me, who's relying on me, will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's what the Word of God says. How about slide 23? In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And again, you can't have the Son without the Father. What does he say? No one comes to me, to the Father, but through me. Let's ask the question we all want to know the answer to. What is then true life? I love Slide 24 and 25. I want to read what D.L. Moody said. And somebody recorded this. I think this is when he was on his deathbed. <clears throat> D.L. Moody says this. Someday you will read in the newspapers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone to a higher that is all out of this old clay tenement into the house of that that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Slide 25. It is said that he died after a restless night saying this, <clears throat> Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. When his son concluded his father was dreaming, he responded, No, no son, this isn't a dream. It is beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. I want you to imagine for a moment with me this. Imagine that you've come to the end of your life. Perhaps you're in a hospital, you're on your deathbed, you've got that terminal cancer, whatever. 
And all you now have are your memories and the grave is staring right at you. What would it take for you to look back over your life and ask yourself these questions, slide 26? Did my life have any meaning? What will people say about me at my funeral? Did I fulfill the purpose that God had for me? What would your answers be to that? Those questions here. Did my life while I was here, did I squander it away, getting high, getting drunk, sucking down the booze, sleeping with people I'm not married to, just living for myself in the moment? Did my life have any meaning? At my funeral, if God allowed me to listen in on my funeral, what would the people, if there were any, around that funeral home or that casket, what, what would they say about how your life impacted their life? Did they know more about Christ because of the way you lived? Or did they know more about the world because of the way you lived? It's quiet in here now, Dr. Carter. Did I fulfill the purpose that God had for me Well, I was here? How about slide 27? The Westminster Standards. <clears throat> what is the chief and highest end of man? The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right. Ask yourself the sobering question. In everything I do, does God get the glory? When I wake up in the morning till I close my eyes at night, have I done everything that I'm supposed to do in such a way that see people see Christ living in me? I hope so. That's a tough question. Church, hear me this morning. I'm just about done. The scriptures are clear. To possess the Son is to possess everlasting life. What really matters is this. Do you have presently right now an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus the Christ? If you were to drop dead today, whether it's hit by a car, something happens, and you were ushered into his presence and the Lord asked you this simple question why should I allow you into heaven with me there's only one answer because Jesus I place my faith and trust in you right. and I know you bore my sins on that cross at Calvary right. how about slide 28 how about the precious words of Jesus himself here I Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that is all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. In slide 29, Jesus says this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. I love what Jesus said here in verse 4 and 5 in John 17. <clears throat> Father, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Look at verse 5. In case you're wondering, when Dr. Cornell teach John 1, 1, there has never been a time when God the Son did not exist with Father from all eternity past. What did Jesus himself say? Father... 
glorify me together with yourself. That same glory. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Doesn't get any more soft than that. Don't let any false prophet tell you that Christ is a created being or he's Michael the archangel. He was with the Father when they created the angels. He has always ever lasted or lived with God the Father from all eternity past. There's never been a time when God the Son did not exist or God the Holy Spirit did not exist with the Father. And the last slide, slide 30. These things I have written to you who believe, who have placed their trust in, adhere to and rely on the name of the Son of God so that you may know not, well, I think so, or maybe, or I'm not sure, that you may, gnosis, no. You may be sure of and completely understand. That's the word gnosis, no. It's not a fleeting knowledge where maybe this is a, a experiential, solid, you are sure and understand that you have eternal, everlasting life. The scriptures were written so that you could know, absolutely know, that you have eternal life. The real question, as I close, is this. Have you come to a saving faith in Christ? Have you come to a saving relationship with Christ? Do you believe through every fiber of your being that the only reason you will ever be ushered into glory is because of what Christ accomplished for you on that cross about 2,000 years ago? That is the ultimate question, and your eternity relies on your answer to that question. Here's one thing that every human being on earth knows. Someday, you're going to drop dead. Someday, you're going to die a physical death. I know that we kind of live like we're going to live forever in this body, this decaying body of flesh, but you need to understand something. Someday, you're going to die. And you need to understand the Bible, I think it's Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment. It's not like you die and you go to this special room and and Jesus walks in like and sings Kumbaya with you and says, oh, gee whiz, we're going to give you a second chance. No, it doesn't work that way. It is appointed once for a person to drop dead, die, and then the judgment. That judgment is either going to be satisfied by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross where it washes away. Listen, one drop of that blood is more powerful than anything in the universe to wash away your sin. So you're, when you die and you're standing, 2 Corinthians 5.10, in front of that judgment seat, to give an account of the deeds you did in the body, whether good or evil, 2 Corinthians 5.10, read it yourself. You're either going to be ushered into glory because the crimson blood has washed away your sins. By the way, past, present, and future or you're going to be down and you're going to be cast into hell, Sheol. And then eventually, Exodus, outer darkness, Revelation chapter 20, where the beast and the frost prophet are going to be. Right. And by the way, here's another thing. You're, there's not an expiration date on that. Scripture does not say you're going to do five years in hell and then we're going to parole you and give you another chance. You need to understand this. This is sobering, it's painful, but it's the truth. When you drop dead... If you die in your sins, you will be in hell for all eternity. And you can look at Luke 17 if you want to get a picture in hell. They can see. 
This is Luke 16. Thank you. They can see. They can hear. They can speak. They're in agony in this flame. They can thirst. They can see. Their eyes are not closed. They can see. Hell is a very real place. The Bible speaks far more about hell than it does about heaven. The only way that you were ever going to avoid that is realizing this. First of all, you need to realize that you are a sinner. You and I are sinners. We inherited our sin nature from our parents who went all the way back to Adam and Eve. Here's the thing. Growing up, I never had to take a class on how to perfectly lie. I never had to take a class on these kids. Hey, kindergarten kids, here's how you properly steal. Never had it. You knew how to do those things because you inherited that sin nature from your parents. That is a fact. Nobody had to teach you how to do wrong. You learned it all by yourself. So you need to understand something. You were born with a sin nature. You were born estranged and alienated from God, an enemy of the cross. But Ephesians 2, 3, But God, now being rich in mercy because of his love for us, he saved us, not on the basis of works that we do, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ when he died on that cross. My encouragement to you this morning, now is the time for you to get right with God. Please understand, you've been told the truth now. You don't get a second chance when you drop dead. Let's bow our heads. I want to encourage you this morning, plead with you, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ this morning, if you are still living like you did before you say you got saved, I'm going to ask you to do something. Repent. Confess your sin to God right now. Wherever you are, just come. Listen, he already knows it anyway. This is about, this is this homogaleo is for you. He already knew you were going to sin before he created you. Confess your sin to God right now. See, eternal life is with, through him. Confess it. Be honest with him. Be transparent with God right now. You who are still living in sin, maybe you're shacking up with somebody you're not married to. Maybe you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to. Maybe you're still romancing the bottle. Greater is he that is in me than in he in the, that he is, that is in the world. In Romans 6, the same power that raised God... Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power God gave you to walk in the newness of life. You are already given the power to overcome this, to walk with the Lord in obedience with the Lord. So I'm going to ask you right now, repent. Place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross of Calvary. He will give you the faith to believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. I've given you the word. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, if there's anybody here that your message has touched, I pray, or listening on the internet around the world, Lord, that they would understand now is the time. Now is the time to get right with you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would effectually call them out of darkness, work in their spirit, in their heart. Lord, that they would come and place their faith and trust in you alone as Lord and Savior, so they can enjoy eternity with you, that union with you, the real bliss in eternity is not the chronological time of being in eternity, but being in union with you in eternity, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song.